This was the most monochromatic, earth-toned, delicious meal I have ever eaten. See, my uh, mother-in-law loves to come spend time with us at Christmas. She flies from Iowa. Some of you may have met her on past Christmas Eves here. And she had a very specific request when she last visited in 2017. She noticed that a couple weeks prior to her arriving here, I had posted a picture of latkes, of the most well-known Jewish food associated with the celebration of Hanukkah. I grew up in a Jewish household, and that's one of the traditions that I keep alive in my own household. And she said, would it be all right when I visited, even if Hanukkah is technically over, if we made latkes, or more properly, you made latkes and we all ate them? And I said, I don't do anything in an orthodox way. I am so Jewish, I became a Unitarian Universalist minister. So, of course, we can make latkes. But with one condition, with one condition. You see, there's another thing up there, right? My mother-in-law, I'm a foodie, and I can say this with no judgment for whatsoever. My mother-in-law is not the greatest cook. It's not one of her skills, and she has many. She has many gifts. But she makes an incredible flan. She was born in Puerto Rico. This amazing custard, caramel custard. And so we had our own Jewish Latin feast, and it was awesome. It's really, you know, I never would imagine saying something uh, is so brown and tastes so good, but it did. Here's the thing. She had a desire for... Another kind of food when she was here visiting with us in the holiday time 2017. Mentioned she's from Puerto Rico. Lives in Iowa. Family still owns a home there. What she will often do when she comes to see us around Christmas time is she will spend a few days with us. And then she will fly to Puerto Rico. But some of you recognize this. 2017. Hurricane Maria had struck just about eight weeks before, and she was not able to go home. It was not safe for her. There was no reliable power still at that point. You know, perhaps in an age more decent, more just, more honest than our own current age is, there will finally be an honest accounting of what happened to the people of Puerto Rico and the thousands of dead because of Hurricane Maria. But this small slice of it was that Iraida Kuki, her nickname, she wanted to find Puerto Rican food here in Philadelphia. It doesn't really exist too much in Iowa where she lives. And she wasn't going to have the opportunity to go home to Puerto Rico as she wanted to and often does for months at a time in the winter. You can understand why you'd rather be in Puerto Rico than Iowa during the winter time. Anyone can recognize that. But she wasn't able to. And so she relied on me, her foodie son-in-law, to find really good Puerto Rican food. And I did my research and I checked all the food blogs and I talked to the people I know who know more about food than me. And there actually are some people like that. And this one name kept coming up. It, it wasn't in Philadelphia. There were some good places in South Philly, Northeast Philly. This one place This one place, this one name kept coming up. El Rincón Criollo. 
the Latin corner too. Some of you might know it. It is in an out of the way, like one of those kind of abandoned places, almost feeling kind of places in Spring City, a mall that is off the beaten path. Go there. (laughs) I am an evangelist for this place. And all those food blogs, all those reviews that said this is the best Puerto Rican food in the Philadelphia region, you can tell them Reverend Ken sent you. It is absolutely true. It is so good. And so we went there a couple days after Christmas in 2017. And right away, my mother-in-law started talking with the guy behind the counter, Luis, who is actually one of the co-owners, he and his wife, Yvette, own El Rincón Criollo, and they started making fun of me because my Spanish of my wife and my mother-in-law and Luis, my Spanish is at the un poquito level, (laughs) but it was good natured and they started talking right away, my mother-in-law and Luis did. She mentioned the town that she was born in, Bayamón, in Puerto Rico. And there was this sense of connection and ease. And I could see that my mother-in-law, who really did want to be in Puerto Rico as much as she loved spending time with us, but wasn't able to go there, that she was able to get this sense of home and connection that we all yearn for. I mean, I have never had the experience, and I imagine many of you have never had the experience of not being able to go home. I mean, maybe for a time we have that experience. But to be actually exiled from one's home, it is not the experience of most people that I know. And so I got the sense my mother-in-law had this connection to something more than just the really good Puerto Rican food she was about to eat when she was talking with Luis. And I got to tell you, however, that when that food came, O-M-F-G. Oh, the plantains. Here's the thing you got to know. If you don't cook, well, there's a few things I can tell you, but I'm going to tell you one of them right now. Fried food should never be greasy. Good fried food is never greasy. I got to tell you, these plantains, and I don't know if you can, oh man, it's making me hungry right now. Um, there's little specks of white. That's this garlic sauce that's like sunken into the cracks of the plantains. And again, OMFG, so freaking good. And then, one of the best things I have ever eaten, and I have eaten a lot of really, really good things, the mofongo. Mofongo is plantains that, I don't know, they work some magic on. That makes it into a crust, and then they'll put vegetables or seafood or, or meat And the sauce then just permeates down into the crust of the plantains, and it is so good. And excellent mofongo, my friends, is, if you haven't ever had it, it is a I have died and gone to heaven kind of food experience. And this was my only challenge in that moment, the best mofongo I ever had. My only challenge in that moment is that Spring City is a good half hour plus away from where we live in Conshohocken. And we all looked at each other and we said, oh, my God, this is so nourishing, so soul warming, so heartwarming that we all need a nap right now after eating this. (laughs) But I had to drive home. On that cold winter's day, even though I wanted to curl up on the couch. And we told him the story. Luis, we told him the story about how we arrived there. 
And, of course, he understood why my mother-in-law was not able to travel back to Puerto Rico. And that was part of the stories they shared with each other. And we said, we will tell people. (laughs) I will tell everyone I know (laughs) about your restaurant. And here's the thing. Sometimes when you tell people, they'll take advantage of that recommendation. And sometimes when you tell people, they will tell other people. And sometimes when you tell people, they will tell a whole bunch of people, hundreds of thousands of people. Some of you know that my wife is a television news journalist at CBS3. And there's a regular segment that happens at CBS3 called Taste with Tori that's really lighthearted and for a foodie at heart and in practice like myself, it is something I really look forward to. Tori was asking Teresa at one point about what might a restaurant she want to check out. And this is a high leverage point for El Rincón Criollo. Teresa said to Tori, you got to check out this restaurant. (laughs) And she did. And one of the things I like about Taste with Tori, you know, you can eat really, really well in Philadelphia. This is a great eating city and region. And you can eat fancy and you can eat mom and pop stuff. And Taste with Tori so often features kind of the mom and pop shops that other people might not recognize or might not know about. And so El Rincón Criollo became her focus, Taste with Tori. And thing I love about Tori is she's really goofy. She really gets into it. She doesn't take a bite. She relishes what she eats when they're filming these stories. And even though this is a lighthearted segment, Taste with Tori is well done because Tori knows that the value of a really good journalistic story is something that doesn't just seek to give information. It's not just something that seeks to appeal to the heart. It also seeks, in this case, to appeal to the stomach. And so when Tori got there and was setting up and she took a look around, she started to sample and savor some of the food. She saw something on the wall that caught her attention. This story would air just around the time of Mother's Day. And she saw these pictures of these two women. Luis's mother and Yvette's mother. And because this was going to air right around Mother's Day, she said, let's make this the focus of the story. And it became the focus of the story. Because it was from Luis, his mother, and Yvette, her mother, That they learned how to cook and was inspired to create an authentic Puerto Rican restaurant. It turns out as well that Yvette's mother had died not too long ago. One of my favorite parts of the story is when you make mofongo, you mash up the plantains. And she was holding the mortar and pestle that was her mother's. And she was cradling it while she was telling this story with such a love and such a tenderness. Almost as I would have imagined that Yvette herself was cradled by her mother 
when she was a small child. There's wonderful food there, and there's an even more wonderful story. And I know this was so wonderful, not from just watching Taste with Tori, because Teresa, however, because Teresa and I went there just a few weeks ago. And Teresa brought this up to Yvette, who was waiting on us and preparing the food. Again, kind of the middle of the afternoon, not many people there. And Yvette gave this look to Teresa and me, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're the one who told Tori (laughs) to come and do the story because it's really helped business. (laughs) But it was more than that. It was the story of her mother. And at that point, someone came in to get a media noche sandwich, and she left our table for a while, and then she came right back and planted herself next to us. She, in the best way, almost like a Jewish grandmother, I love that kind of energy, she said, don't take too much food off your wife's plate. I said, I'm sharing, I promise. (laughs) And she looked up at those pictures. She did, Yvette did, and she started to cry. And she said, I didn't know that story, the focus of it would be about our mother's. But these were big, happy, grateful tears. Tears of memory and connection and love and hope and of a legacy handed down intentionally. Now, when we got up to leave, we had to fight really hard to pay. (laughs) But for my wife, it's an ethical thing, so we had to pay. And then Yvette leaned in. And she gave me this huge, 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 all-enveloping hug. Now, remember, this is a person I had never met about 45 minutes before. And it's like one of those hugs that's so enveloping, that's so warm and comforting, that it started to make me uncomfortable. (laughs) Am I I holding this hug for too long? (laughs) Oh, my God, when is she going to let go? You know, I saw the whole story spinning in my head. Is this appropriate? And then I just gave myself to the hug. And it was so full and connected and satisfying. How wonderful that food was that we ate that time. And how loved on I felt. And it reminded me. And today particularly reminds me of my own mother who died on Thanksgiving Day 27 years ago. And this is a time of the year that I particularly remember her. She died young, two years younger than I am now. She was 47 and she died suddenly and tragically and in a way that could have been prevented if we had known more. She died right after Thanksgiving dinner. And so this is the time of year that I remember her particularly. I remember her all year long, of course. But I remember her when, now that we're in soup season and stock making season, and I get out my big pots. By the way, they all have names. Would you like to know them? (laughs) Baby Blue, Jolly Green, and Big Orange. 
Sometimes I will say to my wife, will you get me baby blue? And she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Baby blue and big orange were my mom's. They're Le Creuset. This is high quality stuff. At some point in the future, I'll hand this off to someone else when I can no longer cook. These pots are part of my heart. And so I'd ask you, who for you is your home cooking? And by the way, maybe it's not biological family at all. And maybe it's not even food. Maybe it's quilts or carpentry or cars. Who are the beloved people who are represented by the objects in your life that remind you of those ties that bind you to those you love? Even bigger and even more abiding than heartbreak or unexpected death or exile. Who are those for you? So I have really buried the lead of this first message in this message series, Entertaining Angels. (laughs) I've saved it right to the end today. And that's by intention. See, this new message series I start here today, and that will do over the next couple months, is taken from a particular line in the Christian scriptures. We are entertaining angels unaware. I think that unaware part is the most amazing part of that line. Because the point of that piece of scripture is to help wake us up to where in our lives we are entertaining angels. Now, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't particularly bother me if we don't agree on this. Literal angels have very little place or part in my spirituality. I know some folks feel different. And that's totally fine. There's the freedom of belief in this tradition that we can have that. So, no, I don't really believe in literal angels so much. What I do believe in, however, is the angelic. For me, an angel is anything or anyone who reminds us of love's presence around us and within us and inspires us to love, love more lovingly. Anything or anyone who awakens the capacity for love that is within us, who reminds us of all the ways that we are connected. The point of this message series, especially around these holidays, especially at this time in many of our lives, which, to put it mildly, tends to be really stressful, is to help connect back in to that love that is a part of our lives and to love love more lovingly. So angels can surprise us in all kinds of guises and all kinds of faces and all kinds of foods and in all kinds of connections. Even on a cold December day, the best mofongo in the world sizzling in the background in a shopping center that is way far out of the way. Really, it can happen any place where we remember who and what is home to us. And who and what is home to you. And so through that we may find that love can find its proper heart, proper place in our hearts.
once again. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? With this breath, with this holy breath, taking in and releasing forth. We know that connection is not something that we have to search for. It's something that is already. And so, as we go about our days, hopefully not too distracted by the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives, or too deeply distracted by sometimes the very real pain that we may find ourselves in, may we allow ourselves to kind of peel back the layers that hide us from the connections that are here. May we live lives in which we foster those connections and move in the direction of those connections so that love takes on in our own hands, with our own hearts, more of a place and presence within this life. Amen.